you have no point to almost be here, which I think in particular for men is a very important thing. As soon as you speak to someone, you know. Like yeah. I, I speak to people from who we work with, business coaching, fitness coaching, and I know straight away they'll be successful or not, just because of, within a millisecond, the way they communicate, the way they look you in the eye. Like My biggest fear is not moving forwards, and I wholeheartedly mean that. Staying the same, that really scares me. It's all about the chase rather than like, it's like about the hunt rather than catching, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's, that's the fun bit. You've hit the nail on the head there, really, between the lines of what you said about outcome and process. You know, you've got to, you're not going to have a purpose if you don't know where you're going. I hadn't really been giving myself the opportunity to do, and I was like, as soon as it clicked, I was like, holy shit, this is why like, I feel a bit, not off, but like mm. not quite fully aligned. Today is going to be an absolute treat. So this is Dan's third appearance, but first time in person on the podcast. Dan is almost what I like to call like the pro trainer, high performance coach, worked with over 30 professional athletes. Uh, yeah, champion and more athlete, champion yeah. athletes. Um, <laughs> world title winning boxers, professional footballers. So today I'm really going to pick your brain in terms of some of the marginal gains in terms of what people look at in terms of higher level sport and maybe perspectives that people don't look to which can apply to their own fitness and mind uh, journey in terms of like how you can basically become the optimal human being. Um, I actually said before this is the best shape I think I've ever seen you in as well. It's oh, the Dubai sunshine. <laughs> when you're looking at people who are high performance, what does high performance mean to you? For me, Charlie, it means consistently becoming better each and every day. And there's a word that screams out at me. It's a Japanese word, kaizen, which I'm yeah, sure you're yeah. familiar with. is constant, never-ending improvements. And it also, for me, means it has to be relative to the individual and contextual to their situation. And what do I mean by that? So if we've got two ends of the spectrum here, you've got CEOs and professional athletes, a win for a CEO and high performance for a CEO might be training three times a week, drinking two litres of water a day and getting seven hours sleep a night. That might be high performance contextual to their situation. Whereas a professional athlete, if they're doing that, that's a very much a minimum requirement. They're not really going to improve. So for them, it might be tracking your objectivity and data via whoop, sleep, passing that over to your coach, having some interventions and talks around you know, what progression there looks like, uh, nutrition, obviously being really doubled down on that to merge that with your training. So it looks very, very different. So it has to be specific to the individual, in my opinion, but getting better each and every day, for me, that is what high performance is. I would agree. And I actually think from a male perspective, whenever I'm unhappy or not as happy as I would like to be, is because I feel like I'm not progressing. And if you don't have a purpose in life, you have no point to almost be here, which I think in particular for men is a very important thing. So I think you being a high performance, you having a purpose, the two are like coexist because the purpose then almost makes you high performance because you've got a rabbit you're trying to chase. You know where you're going. And funny you should say that because I came out of your event, incredible event, by the way, and I did a post and it was my biggest fear is not moving forwards. And I wholeheartedly mean that. Staying the same, that really scares me. Progression is everything to me. I agree. That's... Uh it's all about the chase rather than like, it's like about the hunt rather than catching, yeah, right? It's absolutely. Like, that's, that's the fun bit. And why do you think some people maybe struggle to get that mindset? And have you always had that? It's a skill that's been evolved for sure. You know, it's something that I've worked on over time. I think you've hit the nail on the head there really between the lines of what you said about outcome and process. You know, you've got to, you're not going to have a purpose if you don't know where you're going. And one of my favorite quotes, sorry to go philosophical, is if one does not know to which port one is sailing, no wind is favorable. You are literally just treading water. So you've got to know where you're going. And that, for me, would be the outcome-orientated goal. 
But then you've got to reverse engineer and put the steps in place to reach that goal. So for me, having the goal is important, yes, but your purpose comes from setting the goal and then putting the systems in place to reach it. So uh, the best analogy there would be like the building the wall. The outcome is to build the wall. We get that. But you don't ever think about that anymore. You focus on laying brick by brick by brick. And then before you know it, you've closed the gap and reached the outcome. So I think, yeah, going back to your question, where does like the purpose come from? For me, I know exactly what I'm trying to do. I have complete clarity with the vision. For some, they might not have that. So I would take a moment with yourself and see what really truly intrinsically drives you and then put the steps in place to reach whatever that outcome looks like. And that's what you call alignment, right? Because when you're yeah. aligned with who you want to be and where you want to go, it's then not difficult then to get up and just do the thing exactly. you're supposed to do. It just happens. It just happens. Yeah. And it's powerful, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I know your purpose and mission and you know, mine is, is similar in my own kind of context. And it is, I bounce up out of bed every single day you know, with purpose and desire to improve. Here's another thing I'd say is, it's almost like the respect of when game meets game. It's like, you know, when you, as soon as you speak to someone, you know. Like yeah. I, I speak to people from who we work with, business coaching, fitness coaching, and I know straight away they'll be successful or not, just because of, within a millisecond, the way they communicate, the way they look you in the eye, like mm. the way they hold themselves. What do you think that is? And the way their eyes light yeah. up as well. Like some might, who may not understand me, see me as quite intense, but actually it's just I'm driven by my mission. Mm. And my mission is to leave every single conversation making the other person a little bit better or adding value to that individual. Whether I can do that, you know, maybe that's subjective. But um, what do I think that is? I think that's someone who just has complete alignment and knows who they are and what they're trying to do. So, um, yeah, and I, I suppose thinking the other side of that coin, maybe I do feel a little bit sorry for people who don't have that, and it must be hard, but I would just identify maybe a little task for the listeners if they haven't got that purpose and desire and know where they're going is just sit with themselves for a while and say, you know, what really drives me? What actually really you know, will help me get up out of bed? Is it serving others? Is it whatever else? And then maybe put the steps in place because for me that's going back to what fear is and what I'd be scared of. I'd be really scared of having that lack of purpose and desire and direction of where I'm going. 100%. There's, um I actually went on a personal development course with John D. Martini recently and uh, what I'd recommend everyone does, if you get his book, it's called Values Factor, I yeah, think. It is. Um, there's an exercise in that that I actually did on the plane on the way there and I was like, holy shit, this is why I felt a bit off because like, I sort of loosely knew what my values were but mm. like a couple of them I hadn't really been giving myself the opportunity to do and I was like, as soon as it clicked, I was like, holy shit, this is why like I feel a bit, not off, but like mm. not quite fully aligned. And on that, Charlie, what I'd say on that as well is, like, for anyone listening, please don't think that we've cracked this. Oh, no, We're I've constantly trying to get better. And your values yeah. will change. Absolutely, yeah. Because, like, your values will change as you get older, as you have yeah. kids, you get married, like, whatever it might be, Definitely. right? And I, I haven't been fortunate enough to have that yet, but I imagine when I get to that point, my values will start to change yeah. in perspective. And I think that's also why people need to spend some time actually critically thinking, reflecting of, like, who do I want to be and where do I want to go yeah. rather than just, like, going around on the fucking merry-go-round. Yeah. Um, when we look at people in terms of high performance athletes maybe who come into you what would you say some of the low hanging fruit of the things you first address when they come to you that like are easy wins that you tend to see is like they're a common trend in terms of easy fixes if there is ever such a thing yeah I think with anyone embarking on a high performance journey athlete or other is from a practitioner's viewpoint is not to overwhelm them and give them 20 things to do I think that's really important like we all aim to live a life of high performance and we all know there's so many different things out there that we can add to someone but if they're applying none of them 
and then they're going to fall off course, then what's the point? So I think the communication aspect of that and how you deliver is actually fundamental from a practitioner-led model to the client or athlete. So it might be early on, just a couple of quick wins. So I'll go back now, six and a half years, one of my roles is head of performance at Matchroom Boxing. And I went into that gym, an already winning gym, I must stress, uh, definitely felt like there was a lot that could be improved and thankfully we have improved massively over the past six years. But I identified what they were currently doing and that's key instead of me going in with a bull in a china shop menta- mentality and going you've got to do this you've got to do that okay let me sit on the ring rope and just absorb watch, yeah. watch. let me see what you're doing well let me see okay well you didn't really do a warm-up there okay after your training you literally just ran straight out of the gym without any stretching cool down or you know changing your autonomic state okay how's that then going to impact your sleep well all of these things factor into that the outcome which is high performance so um i did two very simple things they weren't, some of which weren't even using objectivity. They weren't tracking their heart rate. Bear in mind, this is over six years ago, so things have changed slightly now. But for me, that was just mind-blowing. So how am I going to advise them from a bioenergetic point of view to drive a physiological adaptation for their sport if I've got no idea, I'll be like, you know, I've got no idea what's uh, actually happening at the moment. So first thing was to buy a heart rate monitor and track their zones. I'll analyze that data and then I'll, you know, plan accordingly. What would you recommend for anyone listening in terms of heart rate monitors? Because people are probably thinking that now, like, what's the best one to get? Yeah, well, there's loads out there at the minute. You've got Garmin, Stravas for, for the kind of running crew. We use something that has more of a gamification element for our business. Um, we use a MyZone just because it gets everyone on the leaderboard. We have prizes. It's pretty cool. But in terms of accuracy, maybe questionable. Uh, Whoop now have, as part of their wearable, they have exercise expenditure as well, which I've yet to fully analyze. I'm actually going to get one of those and move over from Aura once I'm back in London. So um, look, there's lots on the market. We've used Polar before and the accuracy was really good battery life not so very temperamental so i think just choose which one works for you apple watches are okay not too sure on the accuracy um but yeah we tend to use whoop for our athletes because we also then look at a lot of other metrics that feed into uh, what we're trying to influence you know makes a lot of sense and with what you said there in terms of um your automatic sorry autonomic nervous Mm. system how much of a role do you think that plays with athletes and even gen pop because like for example with me i'm super type super type A super driven mm-hmm. I'm like fucking always switched on yeah. and I also know like my cortisol levels are like sky high all the time but that's just become normal yeah. uh, to the point where I've been trying like adrenal peptides and like everything to try just and to curb bring it, it bring it down yeah. um, is that something you see as a problem because obviously cortisol is catabolic and also blunts fat loss which is obviously going to be probably the goal of a lot of people here what would you say people should try and do to try and maybe mitigate that I think it's important I think look for the listeners kind of autonomic nervous system 101 so you've got the autonomic nervous system you've got two subdivisions you've got parasympathetic and sympathetic so sympathetic is like your fight or flight um kind of how you said you're always feeling on and the opposite of that is parasympathetic rest and digest so very simplistic overview and let's use my boxers for example you know you haven't got 10 other teammates if you're having a bad day at the office you're on your ass so you've got to be you've got to be on you've got to be switched on but you can't be switched on all of the time and we know one of our key pillars in my business, Perform 365, is recovery. So what is the best recovery modality out there? Sleep. Okay, well, if they're on all of the time, is that going to be negatively impacted? Well, likely, yes. So then we've got to create the optimal sleep environment and start trying to bring them down and make that shift after their session. So when they're boxing, when they're doing their S&C, we want them on. You know, mm-hmm. We want them performing at a high level. We want high neuromuscular outputs. But then as soon as they finish that, 
We want to start making that shift. So we do at the end of our session, we do some breath work, we do some kind of leg elevation drills and start trying to bring them back down. And that's where the music might change. We go high BPM in the session. The music then might either come off or change in terms of the BPM. Um, we then, you know, try to minimize any blue light exposure pre-bed, which emphasis on the word try, you know, and I'm guilty of this. I'm looking at my phone all the blimmin' time. Um, I use, and I have them in the bag there, I've got some Whoop blue light blocking glasses, which one of my athletes, John Ryder, bought for me, which is great. So we, we try these methods. Uh, whether they get applied on a day-to-day basis, I really don't know. Um, but, you know, caffeine, ergogenic aids can come into it. Are you having your caffeine too late? And if so, is that going to impact your sleep and, and keep you on all of the time? There's, uh, yeah, just, just creating the optimal environment that allow you to, to kind of rest and digest is what's important. And there's a lot of modalities that we can do to, to influence that. And we absolutely look at all of those. What would you, breathwork is an interesting one. What do you do in terms of that aspect? Yeah, um, we, again, if you're looking at the relationship between breathwork and autonomic yeah. state and making that shift, um, the fight or flight is kind of quite <sighs> short, sharp breaths and rest and digest parasympathetic shift would be more diaphragmatic, more deeper breaths, so longer duration holds. So just, again, the environment would be music off, dimming the lights, because, again, all of these things will lead mm. towards one division, and we want to make that shift. Um, we do kind of a leg elevation drill and just try and get them to close their eyes and just focus on their breathing, so deep inhalations, um, and that over time can impact that autonomic state. Very simple. It's interesting, even... I just seem to wake up and I'm automatically a fucking like off, off like yeah. off like a fucking rocker. Yeah. So I, one of the things I do is only like probably like two minutes. But I have a I use an app called Insight Timer. I literally sit on my balcony and it basically like counts down from like ten to one. Like but like slow like inhales, exhales, just to like calm myself down. And I, I'd probably say I feel like twice as calm afterwards, just like instantly. Yeah. It's amazing how much that just puts you in a better space, like to start your day. Like interesting. I, I'd like to do longer meditations on that type, of, but like, I, 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 not I can't, mm. but I just. I want to go and do stuff. Yeah. So it's like you and me both me. think we're very aligned in that regard. And you even making the conscious effort and awareness piece to do that is, is really good because I guarantee you're going to be a lot more present after mm. those couple of minutes. I think that alongside, which is great in Dubai, not so great in London, getting some light exposure mm. in the morning to impact circadian rhythm is really important. So there's some two quick wins and uh, just sets you up for the day. It also therefore means you're not then being reactive to the devices we constantly have in our hands and then we're playing to someone else's tune. We're in control. And yeah, the longer you can be not looking at your phone to play to someone else's tune, I know you're a big advocate for this, is for me vitally important. 100%. I think that's where people spend their entire life now distracted and mm. being pulled from pillar to post rather than like being in control of their own focus. And that's, I know, one of the other things we're really going to talk about. One thing I do see though is that um, we look at the nervous system and I'm talking about recovery. Do you think some people sometimes try and overcomplicate recovery and like, get too anal to the point of almost they stress themselves out more about like oh I've got to fucking do xyz I can't eat because I've got to go to bed in half an hour or like whatever it might be I think so and I think in today's world Charlie listen I'm massively led by objectivity absolutely working at the highest level of professional sport we need to utilize objective data to inform our decisions without doubt we do it with our CEOs as well but we don't use the data with the CEOs as literal okay well my whoop or aura says x your HRV's falling off the cliff um, that therefore means, well, you know, you're not going to train for three days or you can't do X and Y. Well, no, because you've got to get on with your day to day. So we 
use it to inform decisions and have a better conversation. Uh, do I think uh, we've gone too far down the recovery rabbit hole? I, I like it to a degree. I think things have their place, like infrared saunas and um, other modalities out there. I think you know cryotherapy chambers could be questioned. There's an element of placebo involved, in my opinion, from the research that I've read. I think for me, it's like a big dopamine hit and yeah. adrenaline. Like yeah. You feel like you're fucking on cloud nine afterwards. Yeah. But I... I my personal opinion is that heat is better for recovery than yeah. like extreme cold temperatures. Yeah, and also I think as well, like you look at this from a, okay, where are the quick wins? Going back to one of your first questions of, okay, if this individual is only having five or six hours of sleep in the, an evening each night on average, that for me is going to be a lower hanging fruit and having a much better ROI than them doing an ice bath or them doing a cryotherapy chamber for three or four minutes because you're papering over cracks. We need to identify what's the big needle mover, create the optimal sleep environment as well. And this is key as well. It's like if I tell a high-performing CEO, you, oh, you just need to sleep more, he's like, well, tell me something I didn't know. Well, what do I pay you for? Well, yes, we're, <laughs> we, we identify that sleep is fundamental in it. For me, is the biggest and best recovery modality out there that costs absolutely nothing but the next layer of that is how do we then do that and how do we create the optimal sleep environment and that's from a lot of what i just said about changing autonomic state minimizing blue light exposure to the negatively impact melatonin production and uh, even nutrition could come into it you know if you're having your evening meal at 10 o'clock and you're trying to get to bed at 10 30 you're just igniting the metabolic processes so you need to obviously try and eat earlier so there's a number of things that do go into that and sleep for me is the best recovery modality everything else out there for me is just the cherry on top of the cake you've got to have the cake first i agree completely it's uh people are like this the analogy of you're stepping over uh, dimes to collect dollars sorry stepping over dollars to collect dimes because yeah. it's like this is a really easy thing you can mm. go and do that people don't overlook it's not sexy though is it let's no, be honest like and it doesn't sell right it doesn't sell unless you're Whoop and you're Will Ahmed and you've got a billion dollar business. But anyway, no, joking aside, it sells now because of the objectivity led with it, but sleep in general doesn't sell. No, I completely agree. All of the other modalities, they do, which is why they're there. Do you set like an uh, agenda and schedule for like clients and athletes when they're working with you in terms of like, okay, if you're training this time, you need to do stretching afterwards, you need to do X, Y, Z, this is the type of therapy you need to do every week. What does that look like out of interest? Absolutely. We follow an individualized approach. Everything we do is mm. completely bespoke, but of course we have a system. We don't just throw a load of random X at the wall and hope it sticks type thing. We have a system that's been, I've been a practitioner 18 years. I worked in professional sport at the highest level for well over a decade. So because of that, I developed what I believe is a high performance system, not just for professional athletes, but now is for the biggest CEOs on the planet in the boardroom. And there's massive synergy between the two, which I'm sure we'll talk about. So, um, Broad overview, we have a four-pillar approach, training, nutrition, recovery, and mindset. I feel these days, and leaning on from the last point of all of these modalities out there and kind of shiny object syndrome, and, oh, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, we'll actually focus on the fundamentals first. We break things down with those four pillars because otherwise for newer clients who are on their high-performance journey, they just become very much overwhelmed, especially with the power of social media. So training, nutrition, recovery mindset training nutrition merged together hand in glove we use like the fuel for the work required model of okay if you've got high training outputs then we will probably want to be fueled adequately for that to achieve those outputs we use a very simplistic traffic light system so red is like well that's a tough day that's a high stress day that might be a heavy five by five back squats 
and uh, or it might be a very high intense session or a boxing sparring session that's red we know you can't do red every single day because your body will break down there has to be an appreciation piece around recovery optimization to allow for adaptation to occur then you'll have green let's just use red and green for now forget amber green is like your zone two work your low end stuff i did it the other day which blew my mind i was on the vertical stepper level 14 heart rate averaging around 140 and I climbed gamification element, the Burj Khalifa, looking at the Burj Khalifa, which That's I felt cool. it blew my mind, which is pretty cool. What but, gym was that at? Uh, so that was actually at my apartment gym. Okay, yeah, so. they've got a vertical stepper there, which is brilliant. I know you're a big fan yeah. of as well. And, uh, you know, it's great. I can send emails. I can leave voice notes. I can speak to the team when I'm doing it. So that for me is a green. And obviously you don't want to do green every single day. You never really improve. But that will improve the efficiency of the aerobic system, the cardiorespiratory system that will then feed into your reds. So then you have to choose the reds and greens and you know plot accordingly over the course of the week to allow for you to recover and, and not just train hard every single day. Um, so yeah, that's kind of our four pillars. That's our dose response method. Okay, training stress, dose, response, how do you respond? And a three-pronged approach of training, training uh, stress, so stressor, recovery, adaptation. Simple, okay, kind of physiology 101. There's, there's your stressor, training stress, whether that might be green or red. Then you recover, sleep being the best recovery tool, could use some of the others if you so wish, and then you adapt. And the adaptation piece is, imagine a mountain, you're just climbing that mountain. You're getting closer to the summit of whatever the hell that looks like, whether that's a marathon, whether that's getting on stage, looking ripped, whatever the goal is. But you've got to adapt. But you only adapt if you provide the right stress, you recover from that stress, and then you improve. It's interesting you say that because I did a podcast a couple of days ago with Alex Kiko, actually, which is earlier, mm. uh, who's a genius when it comes to like uh, brain function, performance-enhancing supplements for your brain. Uh, we spoke a lot about uh, something I'd never thought of before is that Yes, you can push yourself mentally, but as you have high performance, like cognitive days, you actually need to have rest days for that as well to let your brain reset. And I was like, I'd never thought, I'd thought about it physically, but never from a mental perspective. Yeah, Um, it's it's interesting. Exactly. That is, um, yeah, you just can't go back to being on all of the time. There's certain times and aspects you just, you just have to pull back and there has to be an appreciation piece around that, which is hard for people like us who are always on. (laughs) I get get frustrated that I feel my mind can go further than my body wants to go. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Even to the point like, uh, I now only train four days a week, but I actually am getting more progress now doing that than training five days a week, mm. which is counterintuitive to what most people would think. Yeah. Um, and for me, it actually suits me because it saves me like two, three hours a week in terms of like, can I go do another weight training session? By the time I get there back and mm. piss around. So it's, yeah. it, it's interesting that most people don't think like that though. It is. And also what I will say is, listen, I'm all for training hard. I train hard. I train six days a week. I do train hard. I do have an appreciation piece around our traffic light system, but I'm very consistent with my training. So I'm not sitting on here and saying, oh yeah, you know, listen to the whoop, the data that says, oh, you're 5% lower than where you should be. Don't train. Well, no, train hard, go for it. Keep your foot on the gas but just have an awareness piece around yeah. recovery optimization because you can only train as hard as to what you can recover from. Otherwise, you'll break down. 100%. I think that sometimes, I think the older you get, you learn to use your brain more than your balls in some respects. But like when I was younger, I'd just be stupid. i feel like shit, I'm just training away. And last week, I fell a bit ill after the event. And I was like, I was supposed to train with Wally and a couple of other people. I was, like, I was like, I'll just go and do it. And it was actually fine. Okay. But sometimes, you know, when you're like, this is probably not a good idea. Mm. I'm training upper body, so it's not going to be that bad. Yeah. But if I was going to go and train legs, it's like, no, I'm doing that. Because I've done that before. And then the next day, like, I can feel my CNS is like yeah. dead. Interestingly, though, what I'll say for the <laughs> listeners, Charlie put a hell of a lot into that event, right? Mm. So what are we reading between the lines there and saying, you put a lot into mm. that, even though it wasn't physical, 
neuro, like everything, oh, you were drained. So it got to the end, I started feeling a little bit ill. That's mm. because you, you were in a high level of stress, heightened level of stress, because it meant a lot to you. Mm. So yeah, that makes sense. It's uh, it's f- not funny, but it's logical when you start to think like that. Yeah. I'll give you another good example, right? It's like first world problems. But uh, I remember I went to the Maldives, last time I went to the Maldives, I was like super stressed, been working loads. I went there to like relax. As soon as I got there, I got ill. Because like yeah. my body just shut yeah, down. And, like literally, I was like mm. sick for four days. Yeah. That um, used to happen to me every time. My family live in Dublin. Every time I used to go to Dublin for Christmas, exactly the same. Because I did. I tried to be present with the family. And yeah, I just get ill every time. Well, mm. slightly different actually because it's bloody cold in Dublin and as a comparison to the Maldives. But anyway. <laughs> yes, it's a different perspective from that respect. I think um, one of the things I mentioned earlier is like you've gotten into really good shape. Like I think you had an injury, I think, previously when we sort of first met. What's the biggest thing you've implemented in your own training over the last 12 months? Yeah, well, firstly, thank you. And um, I do try and live live and breathe this. I do manage injuries. I do manage and work around uh, injuries, certainly, but always keep moving forwards. You know, I've had spinal surgery 10 years ago. I've had to manage that. And I was speaking to someone this morning, actually training with him in my apartment, and we were saying about... Uh, I do believe everything happens for a reason. I, I've learned so much from that. Studied extensively, Professor Stuart McGill around the trunk, around the you know the mobility work that I do on a daily basis. That's a complete daily non-negotiable. So all of that, without doubt, that's been happening for a while. Specifically, to your question over the last twelve months, I have been doing some loaded mobility work, some like yielding ISOs where I kind of hold positions. So, for example, for context, again, did it with the guy today because he was so blimmin' tight through his hips. Uh, we do a front foot elevated split yeah. squat. We come down to like a 90, 90 degree position. The back knee goes deeper than it yeah. would because the front foot's elevated. So you're increasing the degrees of flexion and holding that position for two, three seconds. And you're actually elongating the tissues and structures of the hips. And you know how we're sitting now, if you think of the hip flexor like an elastic band, that elastic band's in a shortened position. Mm-hmm. So we want to elongate that. Otherwise, that's going to impact pelvic positioning and then could lead to other issues. And for me, my lower back, L4, L5, um, microlumbidosectomy, that was my issue. So I need to keep those hips nice and mobile. So I've been doing that. The other thing, and uh, Ron here, you give me the billing as the high performance coach. So this one might shock you is running. I've added running to my okay. routine. Um, I felt like I wasn't running enough. I've dare I say, enjoy running with friends now. But what I've done, Charlie, on this one, I've been super careful about the environment that I create. So I used to anchor a negative thought process towards running. I used to identify as a non-runner. And I had to debunk that. I had to say, what am I doing? I've got to stop saying this, that I hate running. Let me move that away. That's not what I'm going to say. I ban myself from saying it further, furthermore, moving forwards. And then I said, okay, I'm going to run. I want to run. Because look, at the end of the day, my whole principle is to be an everyday athlete, to be able to run, to be able to jump, to be able to change direction, and um, you know, to be able to work at high intensity, low intensities, and to be able to shift uh, a little bit of tin in the gym not quite as much as you but enough and um, so I run in Richmond Park in London beautiful environment I run with friends who I rarely get to see so we have really cool inspiring conversations and we manage our training loads accordingly we do like 8k so um, that for me is something that I've been doing I've been doing it a minimum once a week sometimes twice when the sun's shining in London which isn't that frequently and um, I've just been yeah very consistent with that so look maybe that's been a a bit of a driver for yeah I, I think I'm in the right shape all, all the time but maybe I've tightened up a little bit since then it might be the tan here's, <laughs> here's a question uh, which I'm sort of giving the answer to anyway but is do you think most people need to do the thing they don't want to do 
Yeah, providing it's aligned with their goals. Um, if they if it's on their radar, then likely there's an awareness piece that they probably should be doing it. Yeah, mm. um, I think for me, look, could I get to where I want to go without running? Probably yes. From a body composition point of view, you know, I could be on the bike. I've got a bike in my living room uh, that I do once or twice a week. So if I'm not running, I'll jump on the bike. Physiology would dictate that it's actually a very similar adaptation that we're driving because I'm in the same sort of heart rate zones, but. The difference with running, and I've said this quite a bit lately, is people run to get fit, but you've got to be fit to run. I'll give some context behind that. Running is very different to sitting on the bike and getting your legs turning and lungs going. The amount of ground contacts that you have is very, very high. Well, there has to be an awareness piece of what's going on through the lower limb and every time the foot strikes the floor. And if you run suboptimally from a technical point of view, that might heighten injury risk over time. The other thing with running, and I've got to be aware of this, is if I don't run for a few weeks and then I see this acute spike of running 10, 12K, my lower limb is letting me know for the next two or three days. So this is where running is very just different. being tight and sore. Oh, tight, sore, all through kind of gastroc, soleus, yeah. those big contributors um, as to what's, what's going on impact. through the ground because of the impact. You know, especially if you're running off treadmill on the road, it's very unforgiving. So there has to be an appreciation piece behind that as well. And this is where like January, New Year, New Me, I'm championing that. Great. Just be mindful not to acutely spike what you're doing and going from zero to hero too quickly because you will break down. This is a good conversation. So then how would you suggest for anyone listening? Say they, they don't do any running now, right? Uh, and they want to start getting into that. How would you look to like periodize that upwards yeah. or plan that upwards? Yeah, great, great question. I think there has to be two sides to this. You can absolutely look at running loads and running mm -hmm. volumes. I think, look, don't go more than 5K right away and don't try and do it in a PB time either. Just say, I'm just going to accumulate that amount of volume. I'm then for the next 24 hours going to see how I felt. How am I feeling? You know, how do I feel at the end of the run? Great. But also, how do I feel the next day? What's going on with my tendons? What's going on with my lower limb? Do I feel okay? If I do, brilliant. I'm going to do another 5K. So maybe then for the first two to three weeks, if they can do two of those per week, so going from zero to two, not too much of a spike, and I'm only going to do 5K. That's the maximal volume I'm going to accumulate. So 10K throughout the week. That might be a little bit higher. But anyway, depending on their starting point. And I'm going to do that for uh, maybe three or four weeks. I'm then going to increase to 6K. It could literally be as simple as that. So you have a very strategic approach over the course of three or four weeks. You accumulate more volume. You increase by 2K over the course of the week if you're doing the two runs. And then you build yourself up that way. The other side that you need to be looking at is in the gym. Are you doing any direct work for the lower limb? So are you doing any straight leg work to bias gastroc, a gastrocnemius, part of the calf complex? Are you doing any bent knee work to target the soleus? The soleus is a real key contributor in those ground, ground contact times. Are you also then dosing yourself with some form of plyometrics? Are you doing any landing mechanics? You know, if you're overweight and you're wanting to run, well, what about just absorbing force and applying the brakes and decelerating from an 18-inch box? Boom. Okay, that's going to build some tolerance. It's going to build some eccentric control and braking forces. It's going to help you with the running. And then maybe looking at some pogos, some reactive plyometric work um, where you don't have huge flexion at the knee you want to be springy and reactive even skipping or something like that works skipping yeah. very similar so mm -hmm. if you took that rope away that's basically a pogo mm -hmm. a little bit more intent going on with the pogo but skipping great point absolutely that will accumulate a bit of volume and a bit of load tolerance that will then help you run interesting it's one of the things I used to like but then I've got heavier and heavier and heavier 
and then my body's liked it less and less and less so I've just stayed away from it because mainly because my like lower limbs feel like they're going to die yeah. from like carrying the load yeah. um, which I think you have to look at the objectivity of like what's the main goal and whether that's contributing to what you want to do right now that's which it. is another question keep the goal the goal exactly that yeah um, which I actually think is often where people can get very sidetracked in terms of where is it they want to go right so mm. if someone was like they want to be a boxer then you probably shouldn't be training like a bodybuilder right like yeah. you don't need excess amount of muscle mass that you're okay. going to have to carry yeah, absolutely. And and some do, and they come to us with a split focus of like, okay, I want to run a marathon, but I also want to put on three kilos of lean tissue. And we're like, okay, where's the roadmap here? How long is the time frame that we've got? If we've got a year, maybe we can do that. Maybe we can focus on building the tissue first with a singular focus, and then we can obviously pivot and shift. In fact, we did that. We've got a guy, Mike McLaughlin, who, shout out to Mike, he got a sub three-hour Amsterdam marathon, two hours 54, which is what we trained him for. And uh, now there's going to be a slight shift in his focus. We're trying to build a bit of tissue before he goes again for London or Manchester Marathon next year. So um, I think that's important, and there has to be this fluctuation. But, uh, yeah, don't look, you try and chase two rabbits, you don't catch any, generally speaking. I agree 100%. With that being said, though, I'd say, like, one of the goals of what I want to focus on next year is bringing up my uh, aerobic fitness levels as high as possible whilst, like, carrying more muscle mass, mm. which I think can be done. It's just your ability to then handle the recovery on the back end yeah. so like my perspective of that is like you probably don't want to do maybe really intense hit work like the day before training legs or maybe the after the day afterwards yeah. spot on exactly that and like if the efficiency of the aerobic system is like the primary driver you could just go with some zone two low end stuff yeah. to stay with the whole cardiac output method popularized by joel jameson of 120 to 150 bpm and then you choose the modality to reach that outcome similar to what i said about bike versus yeah. running you're not going to go and do 8, 10K in Richmond Park, let's be honest, because that wouldn't be smart right now. Fair to yeah. say, yeah. But you absolutely fine doing a, a vertical stepper and sending a few emails and voice notes. You'll be fine doing mm -hmm. that, but you're staying within the same heart rate zones. You could do the same on the bike. Um, equally, there's another thing out there. There's a study, a 2007 paper, Helgen study, four times fours. So it's four minutes work at 90% plus max heart rate. And then there's three minutes recovery at 70% max heart rate. And then you go again for four rounds. It's brutal, but it's a great way of improving top-end yeah, top aerobic system and, and red zone domination. But again, I'm not going to prescribe that to you right away. You've got to do that low-end stuff to yeah, build, build that engine that. and then go from there. So yeah, choosing the modality that's correct for you is really important. So whether that's bike, stepper, or running, you know. Personally, for me, I find that short bike's best to get my heart rate. Like, if you're a bigger guy, you'll pa you can put so much power oh, through yeah. it that you're like, you're, you're done. Like, yeah, really your wattage fast. is through the roof. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But is it sustainable? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that, that's the next game, right? That's like, yeah. uh, and that's the goal is to have the power and be able, be able to like keep exactly. it on for that long. Yeah. Actually, I don't know if you've trained. Have you trained with Toby Risha before? I haven't. Oh, I introduced him. So like, he's been on podcast well. Like, right. dude's a freak. Like, does loads of weird challenges. Guys, jacked on bodybuilding nice. shows. Like. He was in the Royal Marines. Just you know, like someone just likes the fucking pain yeah, cave yeah. of suffering. Goggins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's <laughs> like uh, every time I see him on social media, he's doing some weird shit. I'm like, yeah. what the fuck are you doing? That? Um, not necessarily my cup of tea. <laughs> um, when it comes to nutrition, what's your approach specifically in terms of that? Like, as maybe a broad overview. Yeah, so look, we're blessed to have one of the uh, best nutritionists on the planet as part of my business, Perform365, Dr. James Moore, and a PhD-level performance nutritionist. So I've certainly been a sponge and absorbed from him and many others over the years. I'd be a fool not to. I've worked with the best nutritionists on the planet. And um, 
it goes back to another James, Dr. James Morton of LMJU, Liverpool John Moores University. He's got a paper called Fuel for the Work Required. And for simplistic listening for the viewers here is you've got to identify, similar to what I said earlier, what is the goal of the session and do you have adequate fuel and energy availability for that session? I work in professional boxing and great, we can get them stronger, great, we can get more powerful, but unless they're making weight, they're not fighting. So that has to be a huge there has to be an awareness piece behind that and we set the obviously fight date reverse engineer the process you know periodize their nutrition on the basis of that and have framework and guides of where they should be throughout the course of the journey um so certain days going back to our traffic light system if they're sparring monday wednesday and friday that would be deemed a high day a very important day not just from a physiological but from a psychological point of view because you know if they have a bad spar that could get in their head uh, and then impact the next spar and the journey so on so that would be a high day from a fueling point of view but the next day would then be a lower day. So there has to be lower energy availability to then lead to the goal of making weight. For a normal CEO, normal person, you know, we will set them with some guidelines. We certainly go against the World Health Organization's guidelines of 0.8 grams per kilo of body weight for protein intake, which is complete BS in my opinion. We generally look for around 2 to 2.4 grams per kilo of body weight. So for context, how's my maths? An 80 kilo male, that would generally be around anywhere from 160, ideally nudging that up to 200 grams per day. And we know the benefit of key macronutrient like protein to aid muscle protein synthesis, but also if you're on a fat loss journey to improve satiety, the feeling of fullness for longer. And then we can just dose your carbohydrates around those tougher days that's generally the way we look at it out of interest what type of calorie amount do boxers tend to obviously it depends on the weight right mm. but like what do you tend to see in terms of like daily calorie intake for some of the guys when they're trying to make weight imagine that's challenging with the output's really fucking high yeah exactly that is because we've got to give them adequate fuel to reach the outputs they want from a training point of view but then not too much that wow, okay, the weight, the scale weight is not coming down, which is, of course, why we use objectivity and, of course, why we do check weights every single, well, Monday and Friday, my guys do it in the fastest state on the same set of scales. They've got to send it to me, which they hate doing sometimes, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, otherwise, it's on me. So um, we've had some guys up at, like, 4,000, 4,500 calories, big cruiserweights. Um, some of my guys, yeah, generally three, 3,000 calories, maybe 3,500 calories. So, yeah, it's quite quite a lot. Um, but the output but the output crazy. is so high you then look at obviously their RMR their resting metabolic rate before they've even done anything that's at a certain level so let's just say that's 1200 1500 for some and then they've just burnt off 3000 calories in the day so you know they're still even though they're consuming 3800 4000 calories they still might actually be in a, a deficit how much do you guys look in terms of digestion with that as well because like for guys if they're training a lot it's a lot of them I imagine training twice a day to yes. some degree that that then becomes difficult almost to like spread that around yeah. the workouts in particular if you're sparring you're not going to really want to eat before that necessarily like close like yeah we look at certain food groups and like glycemic index rating of foods that they're not going to have like a you know huge bowl of pasta an hour before a spa for obvious reasons from a digestion point of view they may have you know an hour and a half before a spa a couple of slices of like a half a bagel with a thin layer of jam and chopped bananas, maybe with a drizzle of honey, maybe not all of that actually, uh, but with one of the two, the jam or the honey, because again, that will be quick usable choose. energy, quick release and not really impact their digestive system. So yeah, there's a strategy behind not just get the carbs in, what type of carbs are we having and when are we having them? Uh, interesting you said that because some people are so anal that you can't have anything like bread or like anything that's quick sugars. There's like this huge camp that's like fucking anti-sugar that is like the devil where it's like... or it, in my opinion it's um 
a tool that you can utilize really well in particular around like a workout window yeah. that most people are just completely oblivious to definitely if you're strategic with it for sure that's something that's worked well for us you know for those who don't believe in it it's entirely up to them but it's worked well for us again i suppose it depends what the outcome is mm. what's the one question i haven't asked i should ask oh blimey wow not that question um <laughs> the one question you should ask oh if there was one thing that you could give to someone is like this is the biggest thing that's going to make the most difference for you in 2024 what would you focus on yeah okay start where you stand and what i mean by that is identify where you're at currently not where your former self was five years ago when you were consistently training five or six days a week not what these 10 people on social media are posting with their filters and whatever else they're editing these days on their pictures don't get blurred by all of that identify where you're at identify where you're looking to go and then either find a coach or put some form of strategy in place to reach that goal Follow the KISS approach, a simple acronym, keep it simple, stupid. Simplicity wins. Doing the fundamentals and basics well consistently over time will get the best ROI. That's probably the best answer you could have. And that applies to fucking everything in there. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's a good note to finish on. Um, thank you very much for your time, Dan. Where's the best people to find out more about you in Perform365? Yeah, thanks, Charlie. Always good to chat. Uh, so online, my main page is at DanLawrence365 and also Perform365 as well on Instagram. Awesome. Make sure you go head over and check out Dan and see what he does. Also listen to the other podcasts we've done together. If you guys enjoyed that, make sure you like the podcast, subscribe, share with a friend, and we'll see you next episode very soon. <laughs>